Welcome to Retail Intel. I'm Ashley Casey, Director of National Accounts for Phillips Edison. Today's episode is a special live edition that I hosted alongside Mike Conway, Phillips Edison's Vice President of National Accounts. We celebrated Phillips Edison's four essential core values by having an open discussion with three real estate professionals representing Great Clips, Kira Sushi, and Exponential Fitness. Mike introduces Naomi, Robert Kluger, and Richard Feinberg at the beginning of this conversation. We discuss innovation in their concepts, changes that have occurred throughout the past year, and their expert outlooks on the future of retail and real estate. One of Phillips Edison's core values is have fun and get it done. And that's exactly what we do in this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the live version of Retail Intel. We've got three great guests with us today. Richard Feinberg from Exponential Fitness, Robert Kluger from Kira Sushi, and Nate Omi from Great Clips. So thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us here today. Ashley's been doing a great job here recently with it, so I encourage everybody to tune into this podcast and get a lot of great insights from our retail partners out there. So let's go ahead and, and jump in. Let's do some quick introductions just individually, if you don't mind. Nate, do you want to start us off? Sure. Good afternoon, everybody. So I am Nate Omi, and I oversee the real estate department for Great Clips, Inc. We are the franchisor to 1,100 franchisees that operate 4,400 Great Clips hair salons across the U.S. and Canada. We are a privately held company based here in Minneapolis and have been around for about 39 years. I'm Robert Kluger. I'm the Chief Development Officer for Kura Sushi USA. Uh, we are a 29-unit uh, restaurant chain. Our parent company in Japan is has over 425 units, uh, and that's uh, Kura as well. We're looking to double our growth here in the next um, in the next couple years in the U.S. And we are a publicly traded company, KRUS on Nasdaq. So you know, I look forward to talking to you all. Uh, again, appreciate everybody's time today. Let's talk a little bit about just general impact of you know the pandemic, COVID nineteen, how it's affected your business. So. Can you tell us a little bit, I'll start, I guess, with Nate, the initial impact of the pandemic at your corporate offices, and then if you could kind of get into the regional impact across the board. I, I know that you're seeing different things across the country as it relates. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, so I guess if, if you go back to the start of 2020, Great Clips as a company, uh, you know, we were we were potentially set up to have the best year that we had ever had. Uh, salon profitability was actually at an all-time high. We just cr- cracked the uh, $80,000 per salon threshold in terms of uh, profitability. Uh, we had just expanded our corporate offices. We were growing into more space. And then uh, suddenly we went from 4,501 salons down to 17 over the course of about a a week or two so pretty dramatic we tried to keep that going for about two weeks and then ultimately had to let go about 60 65 percent of the corporate staff i personally my real estate team went from 17 people down to six uh so again things things changed in a hurry uh and then that's i guess when the fun really started as we as we realized that even though we didn't have 4500 salons in operation 
we still had 1,100 franchisees with 4,500 stores that needed to be dealt with. So uh, it was with significantly less people uh, to give them the, the support they needed. So it was a it was kind of a nightmare there for a while, and and you know it was a nightmare for our our franchisees as well as they were dealing with the same issues the local level. You know, most of them had to lay off their stylists and their staff. Uh, we've got you know, franchisees from you know one salon up to 90 salons, so various levels of sizes of, of operations and all the issues they were dealing with. Uh, I will say that Great Clips, the, the one nice thing about Great Clips is that we are 100% franchised, and so we didn't have to worry about you know, dealing with our corporate stores first and, and dealing with our, our franchisees second. We could devote all of our energy and all of our resources to them. Uh, and we had a lot of great systems in place already. You know, great market level co-ops amongst our franchisees, the local leadership and support uh, at the local level, and then uh, uh, you know on the national level as well. Uh, so really, we we started organizing and hosting weekly Zoom calls with all of the markets, again individually and then nationally as well. Anything we we couldn't handle, we hired experts to come in and give guidance. Uh, as people were sorting through PPP loans and, and other government programs specific to some different regions and and really just tried to provide as many resources as we possibly could along the way. Uh, and then financially as well, you know, we, although we had very little money coming in, our owners knew that we had to find ways to support these franchisees as, as best we could. And you know, over the course of the last 10 or 11 months, we've ended up putting in about just shy of about $22 million that normally would not have been there, that, that our owners realized, again, we need to find ways to insert money, whether it's into the national marketing fund, uh, reduced fees, uh, the waiving of a lot of fees. They really dug in deep uh, to make sure that the brand stays strong and, you know, and, and that we lose the, the fewest number of franchisees and salons as possible. Robert, you want to thank you, Nate. That yeah. That's very, very helpful. And I think it does to give... I was explaining to you, you know, yesterday when we spoke, it's good to have you on the call just because, you know, that we've got, call it, you know, 250 to 275 employees that are at all different levels and different groups within the company. So it's good to hear just real world examples, what's happening out there um, just regionally throughout the country. So appreciate that. Uh, Robert, do you want to tell us about your experience? And yours is a little different because you've got international locations. Yeah. So, so first of all, my, you know, personally, my experience, I joined the company on May 1st. So we are in the midst of the pandemic and we were, uh, all of our stores across the country were closed. And in Japan, we were still open, but we were operating on limited capacity. So, um, uh, as far as the office goes, it's funny, Nate mentioned things were going so well for great clips and you were moving to a new office and, we were doing the same thing. So we actually uh, just moved into that new office. We were in the midst of doing that at the time. We, it's because we've expanded so fast. Our comp sales in um, 2019 were almost double digit uh, among best in the industry. So, you know, 2020 kind of uh, came at us pretty hard. Um, that being said, you know, we did bring back most of our employees who were who were furloughed. We were able to avoid layoffs, and part of that was due to the support from our parent company in Japan. 
Japan also obviously has COVID impact, but uh, not nearly like we do. So our stores are operating well. In fact, last quarter, we actually, uh, I think our Japanese stores were up like 7% last quarter, which is which blows our mind here in the US that a restaurant sales could be up during this time, um, especially a revolving sushi bar, which is what we are, which really heavily relies on indoor dining. You know, at this time, we do still have, all of our California stores are still closed for indoor dining, and we have 16 of our stores, so we have a very heavy footprint here, more than half our stores being here. In fact, I'm sitting in Cupertino. It's all outdoor dining right now and to go. And that was a major, I think you're gonna ask this question a little later. So you're gonna have to talk about shifts in the business later, right, Mike? Or You know, Robert, at this point, it's probably appropriate to tell us exactly what your concept is. We probably skipped that part. Um, we're in the weeds so much. It'd be good for you to tell everybody exactly what the concept is. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Uh, <laughs> I probably should have done that in the intro. So we're a revolving uh, sushi bar, and really what what we have is a, it's, it's actually it's super cool. We have revolved. I'm trying to think of how to how to how to put this, but it's basically where the sushi goes goes by you. You can you can grab what you want. Every plate is less than three dollars each. You eat what you can get, and then we also have different than other sushi bars that you've seen uh, that are revolving. We have a upper belt where you can custom order. And, you know, we do have items like like ramen and curry, uh, tempura and such that you can also order if you don't happen to be a sushi eater. And, you know, our um, our concept has been really uh, well received here. We're, you know, we do over a thousand dollars a square foot pre-COVID. And it's, uh, uh, that's essentially what, who we are. So when COVID happened, you know, obviously indoor dining is the key to work kind of almost like an eater payment type of concept. And, and so we've had to flex a little bit to go into more of that outdoor combo dining and then also into to-go delivery, which was really 0% of what we were doing pre-COVID. Shifting into the technology and, and trend sort of aspect of both your businesses, I've had the opportunity to visit both a Great Clips and a Cura Sushi within the past couple of months. And um, I noticed several things. First of all, Robert, Kira is very cool. And the line was out the door at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. You had to sign in and there were plexiglass uh, dividers between each table. I felt very safe. All the sushi dishes came with little covers on them. So it's not as if anyone was touching them prior, but you could see the sushi um, and it was revolving. We did a couple a la carte dishes somehow still ended up spending around $50 for two people, even though the entrees are relatively cheap. <laughs> so I noticed, you know, several changes in the indoor dining aspect here in Georgia at Cura. And then Nate, um, at Great Clips, I know you now have that uh, feature on online where you can add yourself to the wait list and you can see the number of minutes you might be waiting for getting a haircut. So my question, we'll start with Robert this time. What trends do you see staying as a long-term result of the pandemic, both in terms of technology and operationally? Yeah, you know, well, first of all, thank you for visiting Endoraville. I really appreciate that. And one of the things that you lined out is the cover of the sushi. It's already, um, it, we call that, that, that piece of equipment is called Mr. Fresh. 
and it was really designed more for food safety, you know, really prior to all the COVID uh, situation, but really we can lean into that more now as, as our food being safe. No one else can touch your food, even though it's revolving past everyone on a, on a conveyor. The other thing that we've done, you talk about, you know, you talked about how busy it was with wait times. Our app prior to COVID, all you could do is check wait times and check in, which was, which was fine, but you could see uh, oftentimes in a store like uh, Adoraville or in Austin, the wait time might be two hours long. That was not atypical for uh, our stores at the time at the pre-COVID. And even now, if you look at it, I just checked our, we opened a store in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and I just checked it last week and we had a three hour wait, which is ridiculous. But, you know, you can check in on your, you check in on your app and, and then you don't have to sit in front of the store for three hours. So that works out pretty good. So that is definitely going to stick. And what we've added during COVID is we're now partnering with Square so that you can order your food online as well for pickup and takeout or delivery through Grubhub through a third party. So we didn't have that option before. You know, we would take phone in orders, but it was such a, a minuscule part of our business because really, as you experience, Ashley, it's really the experience of with the conveyor and grabbing the grabbing the food. But that is, you know, we think that that the the take home aspect is going to stick for us, and it's it's done that throughout the restaurant industry. And so we look at that now as something that's going to stay and being able to order and take out. So we're we're setting up. Um, in our new storage, we're setting up takeout uh, shelves, pickup shelves, uh, delivery and to go. We're asking for short-term parking. You know, we have uh, uh, places uh, where consumers can now eat, like outdoor, which was really not a part of our model before. So, those are all the things we think. All that is going to stick to some extent once COVID is over. Nate, is there anything that you see staying operationally within a salon type concept, like the wait time and this, you know, wait list? feature that you have now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, we've, <laughs> thankfully we had the app in place prior to this and it's, uh, for anyone that's used it, knows it's a very, it's a very simple and intuitive app. And we're not a technology company by any means, but you know, the, the online check-in app uh, has really done wonders for our business, even, even pre-pandemic, you know, and then you, you fast forward to where we're at today and it's really been kind of a bright spot for our company. Going into COVID, about 44% of our customers checked in online with the app, and now we're at about 60%. And uh, with that, you know, we're up to about 16 million downloads. And so the this, this past year has, has really been a game changer for us. Every, as you guys know, everyone that downloads that app becomes a, a much stickier customer to the brand. And so it's it's been great. And then as you mentioned, the, the tweak we made as we were both reopen, going through the reopening phase and then also going through, in some markets, going through second and third shutdowns. Uh, we saw wait times you know, just go through the roof. And so uh, pre-pandemic, there, there was a wait time limit of 120 minutes and then it, would, it was stuck at 120. And, and because of the wait times and everyone checking in online, we had to make the adjustment to 180 minutes to allow for more people to be able to check in online. And then, as you mentioned, we added the ready next feature, which now will alert you to the fact that, that you're up. So if the wait time is you know, two and a half hours and, and you checked in two hours ago, 15 minutes before you're, you're up, you'll get that text message saying, it's your time in the salon, come on down. So 
for people who are you know, waiting in their car or, or waiting at their house, it's been great. And, and that's not going to go away. We're going to continue to find ways to improve that and make it more efficient. The other thing, you know, in terms of technology, we've always we're a convenience oriented brand and we talk in in customer counts. We don't necessarily talk in sales. Uh, so as we talk about, for instance, pre pandemic, we were doing about 510 cuts per week per salon across the US and Canada. And that's something we're, we're very proud of. And the whole brand is driving more customers ultimately to your shopping center. But getting people in and out of the salon quickly and efficiently is something we pride ourselves on. And so finding other ways where people can, whether it's pay at the salon station, pay through the app, different ways we can speed that up so there, there's not congestion at the front desk. People feel safe. There's not that bottleneck of people checking in, people checking out, you know, too many people in the lobby. And there's there's a lot of other things we feel like we can do to improve that experience. And again, make it more convenient ultimately for our customers. I feel like that the convenience factor is definitely one here to stay throughout all of the industries. You know, it's funny, we have the restaurant with Robert, service with Nate, and I think Richard has joined us and he is real estate director with the powerhouse that is Exponential Fitness. They own Club Pilates, Cycle Bar, Pure Bar, Stretch Lab, among others. Richard, are you here with us now? We finally got through all the technology challenges, Ashley, thanks to your team. And yes, I finally arrived late, but got here. <laughs> Richard is seasoned in the fitness real estate segment of that industry. Richard, we were just discussing what trends we see staying as a long-term result of the past year. And I know that you've had to innovate a lot, especially in the fitness industry. Um, you had a lot of locations that have had to temporarily shut down and then reopen in one way or another. How have you navigated that and, and what have you seen that you think will stay for the long term? Wow. It, it, obviously, this has been a it's been a fascinating year for us because we didn't really have a, a ton of options. I mean, once we were shut down, we were shut down. Uh, luckily, we had been working on a video platform for the past year which we were going to offer as a as a, a member add-on. Once the shutdown happened, that really became our go-to platform. Our Go video uh, was rolled out at no charge to all of our members to allow them to do their particular boutique fitness routine at home so that we could continue to provide some revenue to the franchisees and the studio because they were not obviously able to open. That worked really well for a number of our brands. You can do bar, you can do Pilates at home. It was a little more challenging for the machine-oriented workouts like the Stride and the Row House because you didn't have one of those at home. Uh, we did have a number of the franchisees innovate by renting their equipment to their members. And so we, in the case of Cycle Bar, we delivered bikes to members' homes so they could use the, the Go Video platform that we developed. And then as we were able to, we started moving classes outside so that we could get around some of the in-house restrictions in terms of percentages. But there again, it became regional. I mean, we're based out here in Southern California. So to, to move outside was really easy. Uh, everybody in Boston, in New York, in New Jersey didn't have that option. So from that standpoint, we innovated really quickly and pivoted. We haven't closed, we haven't permanently closed any of our studios uh, across the country. So we lost nothing 
uh, in that department. And then on the on the corporate side, we did we just switch all of our training and our, all of our discovery days to go virtual and completely reinvent that process. So it backed us up a little bit, but we still ended up with a really good 2021. We still opened 250 studios and signed 165 leases. So even during the pandemic, at some point every day, there was either an exponential studio opening or signing a lease. We have just completed the Yoga 6 lease with you, um, and we're working on another one now, and hopefully many more in the next year or so. So um, Agreed. Fingers crossed. That's a great segue. Richard, great to see you again. Uh, Hi, Mike. That's very impressive that I have 251 leases. I mean, I will say out of, you know, Kira, we're going to get there on some new deals, but Nate, you know, we, we continued to do uh, a number of deals last year, and I believe our deal count is up to 84 now. Richard, every year we're growing exponentially, pun intended there. But um, so let's transition to the next question here. How about your number one takeaway from last year? Just if you have one thing to pinpoint, number one takeaway your company has gained from circumstances around last year, what would that be? So I would say probably the thing that surprised us the most is that we actually were able to function remote. Uh, that really shocked everybody. We have always been an everybody in the office oriented company, and we have not really been back in the office as a team. We've got 185 employees now, um, and we have really not been back since June, and we still made it work. And that's the thing, I think the thing that really surprised everybody that the remote aspect worked well on the corporate side and we could still continue to serve our franchisees. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that's a familiar theme we're, we're hearing across the board, so appreciate that. Nate, what about you? I would say just the communication, you know, whether it's uh, internally at Gray Clips or speaking specifically in the real estate world, you know, there was, we really went through this phase where no one had the answers and we all had to, you know, collectively come together on all different levels and, and strategize. And it was it was easy to see who was communicating and, and who wasn't. And the ones that Mike, you know, Philip Sedison is, is a great example, connecting all along the way and, and talking through these issues and realizing that no news is, is not necessarily good news um, because we're all, we're all trying to figure this thing out. And so having those partners that you could rely on and it's really become more clear, you know, who those true partners are and who you're going to want to work with going forward and who you're going to try to avoid. And so I, I think those lines have, have kind of been drawn in all of this and will stick for a while. That's great. Robert, what do you think? Yeah, I think for us, you know, we were as a brand, we were very comfortable with what we were doing for because uh, it was a successful model for so many years. I think if anything, what we've got out of this is is the ability to flex a lot more and just be just be able to change on the dime and, and understand that what we see tomorrow might not you know what we see today might not be what we see tomorrow and i and i think also too it's really built at least as far as i could tell a real sense of community between the uh, landlords and developers and the tenants i i feel more I mean, I know like you guys are great reaching out, but I feel this connection now with more developers now, I think, than even in the than in the past, just because I think we're all in this together. We're all trying to find amicable solutions to help both parties. So those have been the, that's it for me. Mike, can I make a comment? I think that, you know, I think the same 
what what Nate and Robert are saying, I have to basically echo, is that it's really been interesting to watch the sense of partnership develop between landlords and tenants. When nobody had it, when it was like, oh, you know, we'll we'll close for a couple of weeks and we'll be open and not a problem. You really did see who those landlords were that valued you as a tenant. And those conversations that we had with, you know, we had with Pico and things like that to work through issues. You really did decide starting in 2021 who you'd really like to do more deals with and who you would really like to avoid if you get the option. And I was really surprised at some of the people that end up in my avoidance list, of which oh, Pico is not one. I'm, yeah, thank you. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't make the do not call list. <laughs> no, no, no. Ashley, you guys are great. So I'll ask the next question and it will be two parts. So I'm curious what your expansion plans are this upcoming year, you know, how they've shifted maybe from what you thought you would be doing in 2021 and then subsequent to that what's your ideal site looking like now and this is the question you get at every ICSC conference in the past but we aren't able to do that in person this year so I know in some cases things have shifted to more suburban or smaller footprint so what's your ideal site and what are your expansion plans and we'll start with Nate this time so in terms of growth, uh, we had been on a great path for the last decade. Really, typically we sign anywhere from 200 to 300 leases and we open up a couple hundred new stores every year. And so going into 2020, our goal was 225 leases. We ended up signing 101, which uh, we still felt great about. It was still, it was actually more than, than our three largest competitors combined. Uh, so we, we felt Great about that number, but obviously not the number we were expecting going into the year. We did end up opening 114 salons as well. And so 2021, when we had to sort of make our, our predictions and, and roll up our goal, it's what that looks like. I, I'm not sure, but I, I'd love to see us at about 130 leases uh, with another 100 openings. We've still had some markets that are, you know, ups and downs with closures still happening and, and whatnot. But in terms of you know pure site selection, that really hasn't changed either. We've been pretty on top of you know who we are and, and who we are not. And we've always targeted a tier one uh, grocery anchor shopping centers. Our customer is, is a convenience oriented customer who typically is and, and does have money. Even though we are a, a value brand, there can be a misconception that we want to be in kind of lower demographic areas or more in value oriented shopping centers, which is, is really not the case. Our customer, for whatever reason, really has no problem going next door and spending 15, 20 bucks at Starbucks, but doesn't necessarily want to spend more than $15 for a haircut. So our whole goal is drive more haircuts on an annual basis, get them in every four weeks, five weeks, and be that convenience place. So any sites that, that offer that access and that visibility uh, to traffic is, is what we're targeting. So I live right across from a Great Clips and you're in a Whole Foods location in Atlanta. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's not a cheap neighborhood at all. No. And the other no. day I was looking at the wait times and it's funny because- what was, your, what was your wait time, Ashley? <laughs> at my Great Clips appointment? <laughs> um, it was for my fiance actually, but it was only two minutes. But about five miles away, there was another Great Clips that had a 125 minute wait. So 
just kind of funny. I mean, there's definitely that pent up demand there, and I'm not sure what the difference was, but um, I guess I just wanted to sort of echo your point that it's definitely not a cheap center that you're in there. You got a Starbucks on one side, a Whole Foods, and a Hollywood feed all in that same center. One of our salons, our president loves to show this picture of Jordan Spieth is a customer of one of our salons down in Texas, and he loves to show this picture of, of Jordan in the salon because you can't get more high end than that. And uh, just just a great example of someone who, you know, again, isn't looking to spend 50 bucks on a haircut, realizes the value you can get going to great clips. I have a picture with Jordan Spieth, Nate. I'm going to send it to you after this. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Um, Robert, what about you? How, what are your expansion plans with Furcura domestically and, and what are your site criteria? Yeah, so I mean, right now we did pair back our development plan a little bit after COVID, but we're still going aggressive. We have, you know, we went public in 2019. And so we have some, uh, we had some Wall Street pressure to grow in a, in a smart strategic way. And we were gonna open about 10 to 15 a year. Uh, what we did for this year, 2021, we paired back to seven, and then we're gonna go to 10 to 15 a year going forward from that. So starting in 22, which we're already building our pipeline for that. That's how we're gonna you know, get to our double in size in the next couple of years. So we're uh, very excited about that. One of the things you mentioned, Ashley, and it is something that we have thought about, we look for traders that have a strong balance of daytime and residential because we do have about a 50-50 lunch dinner mix for sushi. It's great because we can get people in and out of our store at lunch in 22 minutes. So we have typically done very well in those trade areas with heavy daytime population but we are treating those with a little more, being a little more cautious of those heavy daytime areas right now, because uh, we don't know how long it's gonna take for people to return to their offices. And so we are putting a little more emphasis on suburban than we had in the past. And so that is a little bit of a change. We also look for areas that are higher income, higher educated folks. Those tend to be the folks that will eat sushi more. And our age category, because of our experiential nature, of our brand tends to be a little younger as well, somewhere in that even, you know, that 35 to 50 uh, range. Site size, you know, we're looking for 3,000 to 3,500 square feet. We do need a minimum of 30 feet at the front end to get the conveyor in place. It's a very unique conveyor. It's shaped like an E, uh, the letter E. And so, you know, we have to have room to put that in. And we are now looking for patios, which we weren't looking for in the past. We're looking to experiment and start getting pickup windows. That's for takeout orders that have been already ordered and paid for on the phone, much like uh, Chipotle is doing. Anything we can do to make it easier for the customer to get our food without having to get out of the car or order easier or whatever, That's those are all the things we're leaning into right now. And I think as far as other changes, luckily we're very focused on optimizing our size as we go forward. So we do have a couple of stores that you might go into and say, wow, you did like a 6,000 foot store and we did, uh, but that's not optimal. <laughs> so we want to stick closer to that three to 3,500. I'll so tell you when I visited, um, I wanted to sit at the very end of the conveyor belt so I could watch it shoot down to me as fast as possible. So I didn't even think about the frontage, but that makes sense. That's a good strategy, Ash. <laughs> it's just, and it's kind of interesting too, but if you're not at the end of it, then it is kind of fun to watch, just watch the dishes fly by as you're eating. But it's very distracting when you're having a conversation with someone when you see a dish just fly by going, what was that? I, I want to get that, you know, that kind of thing. I, I get that. Next time we'll do the other side. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Richard, what about you? I know you have several different brands to kind of cover, but how has your site criteria changed or um, your expansion plans throughout this past year? The site criteria actually hasn't changed at all. I mean, it completely worked for us. We're still looking in, you know, in suburban grocery anchored shopping centers because we still do a lot of morning classes, some afternoon classes. Obviously, our, our evening classes are, are, are most filled. Uh, as far as square footage, depending upon where you go, you're going to go everywhere from a stretch lab, which we can do at, you know, 1300 square feet up to a cycle bar that we can do at, you know, at 2300 square feet. Um, but as far as next year is concerned, um, you know, 2020, this year is concerned, 2021, we're looking at probably opening another 225, 235 studios across all the brands. Um, we'll be making a couple of major international moves during COVID. We ended up selling Australia and the Dominican Republic. So now we're in nine overseas countries. And before the year is out, we're going to add, uh, we're going to add two new brands. So the X and exponential will now represent the 10 brands that we have. So we've sort of factored in that the first quarter is going to be a little bit slow just from the lag of the fourth quarter of 2020. But our estimate is that once we get past March, April, we're going to get back almost into full swing. And that's been evident by really well attended virtual discovery days for most of the brands. I was on two this week already, and you know I think everybody on both of those brands are going to sign. So we're sort of figuring it'll be a little slow up to March, but I think once that happens, we're going to have no problem hitting those numbers for the balance of the year. There's a pent up demand for people to get out and be social in their boutique fitness choice. I'm That's ready great. for the mechanism for sure, but thank you all for those answers. We'll yeah, no, I was going to say, Richard, just real quick, do you mind just for the group naming all of all of your concepts? I know there's a lot of them. You're up to eight now, but yeah, so we are definitely we are definitely up to the uh, up to the eight. So we have Club Pilates, Cycle Bar, Pure Bar, Stretch Lab, Stride, Row House, AKT Dance and Yoga Six. And the exciting thing about that, Mike, is that by March, we will be number one. Four of those of those eight brands will be number one in their category in terms of number of studios. That's great. I've got to ask. I, I think I know the answer, but can you name the two acquisitions yet? Uh, you probably do know the answer and you know the answer is no. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> Well, hey, that tells me something. If I know the answer, it sounds like I've heard of them. So interesting. Yeah. Now, I, th I think we'll have one done before March and the other one will be somewhere in second quarter. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody here. I think at this time we'd like to transition to some Q&A if there's any questions out there. We do have one that's come in. So, uh, do you work with companies like Pico to collect analytics to better understand a center's demographics? Richard, do you have any input there? No, I mean, on a company level, we don't. Uh, the broker tends to do that more for us with the, the local property manager. Nate? Yeah, I would say similar response. There are times where we will ask specific questions about the, the health of, of some of the, the other brands in the shopping center and understand what their 
you know, how long they've been there, what their what their strength is, and, and how long they plan to be there. We're not a, because we're, we don't necessarily drive our own traffic. We feed off of the grocery stores and, and some of the other strong retailers. So we like to know what's going on there. Outside of that, we are getting into some more placer AI type data, um, but just sort of on the, on the cutting edge of that stuff. And Robert? Yeah, I, I would echo what Nate and Richard said. We have our own demographic tools internally. We use uh, form analytics. We're able to pull specifically the type of demos that, that we're looking for, so we don't rely on Pico for that. But where we do rely on the partnership of developers is exactly what Nate was saying. We really have an interest in how the other tenants are doing in the center, how long they're going to be there, uh, whether they're above or below their national averages. It all, it all helps us with our decision making. You have another question. When are we going to have 100 great clips at our Pico centers? That's up to Mike. Mike's got to keep it. <laughs> yeah. Here. Well, hey, I, I'm trying. I am trying. And, you know, we, we're getting up there and we're actually, we're still getting up there, but, you know, we've sold a few properties here and there. So we'll get there soon though. I'm confident in the next two years for sure, we will be there. I think we've got a great system in place. And for those of you out there that don't know, you know how it works is, Essentially, I run analytics with a lot of times our research department and, you know, cross-reference the, the properties where we have, you know, hair salons or hair cutting type places within our shopping centers. Some may have restrictions, some don't. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it to figure out exactly what's going to work. We also look at, you know, how close another great clips may be within the market. So we're reviewing that at least once a month. And yeah, we hope to get there soon. So let's do some, let's do it this year, Nate. Come on. What do you think the biggest fitness trend will be over the next five years? Ooh, you know, I, I don't know. Other than to say that boutique fitness is clearly the growth side of the industry. I mean, you if you look at all the numbers, big box gyms are maybe up 5%. Boutique fitnesses are growing at 50% a year. We've obviously seen a lot of constriction, you know, with big box. We've had some, obviously, Golds has had issues. New York Sports Club has had issues up in Canada, which is part of my region. The government had to go ahead and uh, an issue a $315 million credit line uh, to the biggest big box gym up there. Otherwise, they were going to go under. So I just think it's really, I think boutique fitness as an industry is going to be the trend. I'm not really so sure that all of the in-home part of boutique fitness has got legs. Because uh, from what we've seen, people that did move in-home and did it for a while, when we were able to open up, for instance, in Florida, in the world of Club Pilates, within two months, we were back to our February numbers. And we had a studio in Florida in October set the, the company record for the largest uh, grand opening membership numbers in the history of Club Pilates. So I think that outside boutique fitness and driving to shopping centers is really what you're going to see in the industry. Will Exponential do a large format and have three to four concepts within a center next door to each other? We love doing what has become known as a fit row concept uh, without a problem. We don't do it all in one building. Um, so each one of those, the only exception to that rule is in Saudi Arabia, where we do have all our brands under one ownership in one building, but that was due to cultural sensitivities and the fact that all the studios have to be gender specific. 
But here in the U.S., yeah, we love to. I've got one in Massachusetts where we've got four brands all lined up. It's four separate franchisees and four separate leases. But it's a home run for the landlord because people just stay and then they hit the restaurant and they hit the juice bar that's right near it. So all that discretionary dollar gets to go ahead and sit with the developer. But yeah, I'm a big fan of lining them up. Thank you. How do your each of your businesses contribute to the local communities they serve? Why don't we start with Nate for that one? Sure. So all of our franchisees you know, are highly encouraged to do things at the local level. So I'm sure each of your markets, you've seen various ways they get involved. We don't necessarily dictate that, but we encourage and we acknowledge those who do. Gray Clips Inc. as a company is is heavily involved here locally in Minneapolis with Children's Hospital here. There's a wing that says Gray Clips on it here. Uh, and then there's other things we do in terms of Veterans Day, you know, free haircuts for vets and other things. There's a um, basically one of our franchisees whose wife passed away from cancer started a program to make sure that all cancer patients can come get a free haircut as needed. So different things like that. We're always finding other ways to connect, but the real strength of it is, you know, the local level with our franchisees. Richard, does Exponential have any giving back initiatives? It's very similar to what Nate said. Corporately, we do support a local children's residence hall called Miracle for Kids in Irvine. It's sort of similar to a Ronald McDonald house. And these are all for, for kids that are having that are having issues and families that are financially challenged. We do that. So that's a big push that we do at Christmas. We drove probably as a company a quarter of a million dollars worth of gifts to these families in need so that no kid you know they didn't they had something to open for christmas but a lot of the stuff that we do we do local because there are certain there are certain run themes that are big in certain areas there are certain food events that benefit local charities so we encourage the franchisees in the area if they can to to bond together and support it but as a company we don't mandate that you've got to go and support one charity over another and because look the franchisees live local they work local the employees are local, so we believe it's they're the ones that are in the best position to decide who to support. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It seems like even franchisee businesses are so local. You know, we hear the shop local mantra in the past year or so, and now my even Zaxby's nearby my home has a big, you know, run by a local <laughs> um, up on their window, which is true. So yeah, I think any sort of shopping local like that it is great. And then, you know, Robert, in, in the case of Cura, do you all have any giving back initiatives for your locations or your corporate driven programs? So I'm gonna I'm gonna table that by saying stay tuned because our community, we are looking deeper into community outreach. Right now we have we haven't done anything on a national basis. We leave it to our local store manager and some of them are much stronger at connecting with the community than others. And so we are going to try to bring that into our organization here in Irvine and get together a more a better program like Richard and Nate have, which sounds awesome. So if I had to answer from a landlord perspective, I think you all give back any time that a location opens in a community. It increases economic development within that community. Anytime you go into a shopping center, it drives traffic, therefore driving commerce to that center. And you either are or have shifted toward more suburban areas and 
they're always looking for business development and new businesses to come into their municipalities. I think you all sort of give back in, in that way and your franchisees do in Great Clips and Exponential's case also. We appreciate that. There's a lot of questions coming in. Where do you see the trend of ghost kitchens going in the next 10 years? That would probably be a Robert question. That is a Robert question. <laughs> so it's a very interesting question because we had a lot of internal discussions about ghost kitchens and as to whether that is a that's a good way to get into some tougher trade areas where we can really introduce our brand to some folks or, or get our brand out the trade areas that we couldn't get it to before. So I do see the ghost kitchen market growing and being something that could be complementary to our standard restaurants. And, and so that's why I don't think, I, I guess my thinking right now is it's not gonna be a replacement for restaurants, but it would be just a, a complement and a supplement for it and continue to grow. We actually received another one for you. Can we expect a Kira Sushi in or near Ohio soon? We don't have any uh, plans for Ohio at this time. Wait, did Mike ask that question? Just checking. But, uh, <laughs> but it will be soon because what we're doing, and we're doing about 50% of our growth in new markets and 50% in existing markets. And right now we're in 10 states. And so we're prioritizing uh, where our new market entries are. In Ohio, we're probably about two years away from Ohio right now, and, and maybe looking to focus in Columbus, but uh, that is to be determined. Thank you. Will technology spending decrease spending in physical stores? It seems that technology keeps evolving more quickly and store remodels are less frequent. Maybe why don't you take that one? I'm curious because I, we've had discussions around uh, remodels within your store, so. Take it away. Yeah, yeah. Sure, it's uh, timing is actually interesting for us right now because we had a, a, a remodel scheduled for what was originally scheduled for 2020 and it was it was called the 2020 salon, which realized that's not a great name anymore. So we've changed that to the green light salon uh, that's going to be rolling out here in 2021. So not great timing in terms of added added costs and expense. But this has been a long time in the making and it's a beautiful looking salon and something we're, we're very excited about and want to make that go forward quickly. Our, our franchisees do have, uh, they have roughly you know, five years to get that all the elements of the new look into their salon. So we do give them plenty of time to, to work those costs in and make the adjustments. In terms of technology for us, you know, it, it should only improve our sales uh, and again getting customers in and out the door we don't sell a lot of product as it is we focus on dry haircuts we don't do color we don't do waxing we we've always done one thing and tried to do that well we want our customer believing they're going in for a 15 dollars haircut and leaving with a 15 dollars haircut not necessarily coming out of there with a 35 dollars bill so for us technology should only improve things we we don't see uh, any downside but but we're also service how do you think consumer behavior will change post-pandemic? I'm interested in, in Richard's response. You touched on this a little bit, saying, you know, noting the home workout trends, and you mentioned that it's likely not going to be as prevalent in the future. Could you add to that a little more? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in our world, especially in the world of, of, of boutique fitness, I really don't see a lot of the stickiness that's developed in the last year staying. 
Uh, you know, part of the, the, the charm of the boutique fitness is the community, that it encompasses the friendships that you make, the regular people that you see. And so everything that we have seen shows that it's, we're just not going to see a decrease, I guess, is we're going to, everything that we've seen, we're going back to pre-COVID numbers. We're going back to people wanting to engage. The, the one thing that we, we are changing going forward is that we have rolled out going back to that technology question that was asked, is we've rolled out what's called an X-Pass, which is going to be a, the opportunity for a person to buy a membership set of credits that are good across all exponential brands. And so it's going to allow someone to go ahead and try a session at a, a Yoga 6 or try something at a Cycle Bar without having to invest in a full-blown membership until they find the brand that they particularly want. And then they can go ahead and, and, and make that their home studio. But I just don't, I think a year from now, it's going to look a lot like it did in February of 2020 in the boutique fitness world. And I think it's only going to get, it's only going to get better. There's something fun about giving high fives after an intense workout that you can't do with a Peloton. Well, you know, the other side, Ashley, is that people that do it all the time, they guilt trip other members. That's the other thing that we've seen is because the fact that you're in your local area, you're running into the people that you work out with on a regular basis. And boutique fitness members, they have no compulsion about shaming a fellow member. It's like, I haven't seen you in the studio in a week. What are you doing? And you can't get that on a virtual ride. It just doesn't happen. Do we have any more questions, Cassandra? The last one is, you are all successful commercial real estate professionals. What was a mistake you made and how did you learn from it? I love that. I'd love to quickly get everyone's response on that one. I think we could probably all do an hour on that, couldn't we, I, Nate, Robert? I mean, just throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Cliff Notes version of your biggest mistake. Why don't we start with Nate? Sure. I, we work with a lot of franchisees and and sometimes, like I said, we've got 1,100 franchisees and sometimes you can, we're doing a lot of deals and we're moving quickly and sometimes you can take, you can take for granted what a franchisee knows or, or doesn't know. And I think over my years, I've realized that even though someone may have 40 stores, uh, they don't know everything there is to know about real estate and about their leases. Uh, and, and you assume that just because they've, you know, they've gotten to the point that they're at that that they should know all this stuff, right? And so I, I've learned to really, you know, not take that for granted and, and make sure we're going through all the steps when dealing with some of these issues that come up or looking at new sites and making sure that they've done their homework. You know, I go back to, to a couple of the deals that maybe I wish we hadn't done with some some franchisees who we, we thought were doing their due diligence and, and thought they were spending the, the right amount of time looking at the site. And we assumed that, you know, that they were doing it and, and, and they weren't. And it, it, ultimately didn't work out for him. So uh, I would say just, again, realizing that people don't do this every day, even though we're doing it every day, not everyone is uh, deep in the weeds with it like we are and, and walking them through it. There's a Reddit board called Explain to Me Like I'm Five <laughs> that I follow. And I often have to ask people questions with that caveat. So I love that one. How about you, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, a couple things. I, I think for one with real estate, you just got to keep it simple and look at it from the mind of the consumer. I think sometimes we tend to 
either overvalue or undervalue our brands a little bit and say the consumers will find us or we have to have the pin corner, vice versa. And so you have to really put yourself in the in the shoes of the person who's going to be using your product to see how easy things are going to be for them and what levers you need to have in place to to maximize your visits. And, and then the other the other learning I think I've had over the years, and, and I've been with a lot of high growth concepts, is you really need to make sure your internal team on the operations, corporate either corporate operations or franchise operations, are ready to grow as you're growing. Because I, unfortunately, I have seen a few, you know, I would say good quality real estate sites that have failed because they weren't operated properly and the team wasn't ready for it. So making sure everyone's on board, we're not growing, we're not overextending an area or an operations team or a franchisee and making sure that we're, we're ready to go. I think probably on my side, it's the ability to make sure that you, when you're talking to franchisees, that you don't fall into the habit of industry speak and assume that they understand all the terms that you are using. We have, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to rewrite materials because it made perfect sense to me and then I'll hand it to somebody else to read and they get this look like I've written it in Greek because I know what I went to write and it makes no sense to the other person. And then the other one is is really encouraging franchisees to feel comfortable to ask questions. I, I am I'm still amazed the number of people that come into the franchise model and feel that they have to present themselves as being more knowledgeable than they really are. And that they've got to feel comfortable asking that question that I've heard a hundred times, but it's new to them without feeling that they're asking something stupid or they should already know. It's keeping that as you grow and get bigger, keeping that user-friendly, high-touch feeling with the franchisees that you're onboarding. The bigger you get, the bigger that challenge is but you can't lose track of that because ultimately they're your face in the community and we don't do well if they don't do well so i would say those are my two big takeaways i think that's all great advice guys i I really appreciate it so richard robert nate really thank you very much for your time and this is really valuable information and great for all of us to hear really good takeaways so i appreciate everything and hope to do a ton of deals with you this year Yeah, and hopefully we'll all see each other in Vegas in December. Sounds good. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And a special thank you to Nate, Robert, and Richard for joining us. Another core value essential to the Phillips Edison culture is always keep learning. And I hope you learned with us in today's episode. If you'd like to reach me, Mike, and the rest of the team, email us at nationalaccounts at phillipsedison.com. And join us on our next Retail Intel show to learn even more about established and emerging retailers.